we're in the series called Fight Club, right? And we're learning about spiritual warfare. Today, we're going to learn about the battlefield of the mind. Before I begin, I want to be able to give honor to my husband who who has been in prayer for me and who has covered me and who protects me and I am under his authority because he takes good care of me and he is also under the authority of Pastor Jamie, Pastor Josh and all of those men whom I am in authority under are under the anointing and under the authority of the Holy Spirit and so we want to set up proper authority this morning. So as we go into this series, The Battlefield of the Mind, our guiding scripture for the Fight Club series is Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against the flesh and the blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So let's set our minds on where, where we are and what is happening around us. Okay. So one thing I want to begin as we set our minds on what is true I want us to be able to know that we're going to understand the goals and the strategies of the enemy this morning, and we're going to learn how to counterattack them. Are you ready? Are you prepared? We're going to do some equipping, okay, because he's played with us long enough, and today it stops. Okay? So I want to just kind of go into the teaching. I listened to a podcast. It's called A Place That We Find Ourselves, and it's written, written or hosted by a licensed counselor also, and... Um, his name is Adam Young. And so much of my teaching is going to be from that podcast, but there's so many other things that I'm bringing into it. Because if you're like me, and I hope that you are, as a Christian, you look for things to feed yourself. If, if our only serving is here on Sundays, we're really going to be starving. Okay, so it is, a, it is our responsibility. So I want to encourage you to do that. Every day, you have to take your responsibility seriously as we're in the fight okay so one thing I'm going to say this morning as we set our mind right I want to kind of see how this falls okay we're going to speak truth this morning so you and I find ourselves in the midst of a world at war that war is between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness but as Christians you know we're supposed to be in God's army who heard the song when they were little? I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? Who heard that? Well, we are. We are in the Lord's army. But do we always choose to be in the Lord's army? We'll see. You get to determine that. When, when are you fighting for the Lord? And when are you fighting for the enemy? We'll discern that today. So it seems like as, as followers of Christ, though, we lose sight of being in the Lord's army, and we tend to live in a desert between the two kingdoms. Find yourself in the desert sometimes? We expect life on earth to be like it was in the Garden of Eden, when everything was supposed to work perfectly, nothing was supposed to go wrong, and life is supposed to be easy. We forget about the fall. We impose on ourselves a safe zone where we believe that we are out of bounds of the battle, Hmm. Well, what if I told you that the reality is that there is no neutral zone here? War is happening day and night all around us, and we are very much affected. But this supposed to be safe zone that we establish for ourselves is really a misconception. It's a deception of the enemy. But we Christians have it. We develop that false mindset, and it ill-equips us for this battle. And it causes our opponent strategies against us. It, it gives him power and authority over us before he even does anything else. And it causes us to be defeated in this battle. So Charles Spurgeon, he is a, um, a Baptist theologian from the 1800s. And he said, to be a Christian is to be a warrior. The good soldier of Jesus Christ must not expect to find ease in this world. It's a battlefield. His occupation is war. Have you heard of that before? Did you know that we live in the midst of, of a war? It's not a war that, because we can't see it, is not happening around us. 
The Bible talks about things that are happening in the unseen world. And that's where we have to understand the unseen world so that we can know whether we see it or not, it is happening. So we have to set our minds upon that truth. In 1 Corinthians 10, 5, uh, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the, fr- the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using weapons of man. No, the weapons of our warfare are not physical. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing. Who is the enemy? He exalted himself and he had pride and he set himself against the true knowledge of God. And it also encourages by saying we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of of Christ. So not that we did, not that we will, but we are now. So today, let's position ourselves in the present. The fight is in the present. It's not that we've overcome it. We haven't yet. We haven't, we haven't gone to, to eternal life, right? Jesus has not returned. It's not over. So it is in the present. So if we can understand our mindset, it is here, it is now, and we are involved in it. So the battlefield in which, in which we find ourselves is a war that takes place, and it occurs in our minds of every human, whether a believer or a non-believer. The mind encompasses our thoughts, our imagination, our reasoning, our intellect, our emotions, and our will. It's all of the parts of us that make the essence of who we are. So now that I've laid all that down, I want to kind of take a little twist here. There's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody heard of it? Yeah? Okay. So in The Screwtape Letters, for those of us who haven't read it, it is um, a conversation through letters written by a senior demon called... Screwtape. Why these names, I don't know, but Screwtape is his name. And he is writing the letters to a junior demon, his nephew, who the book calls Wormwood. So I've written a letter um, from Screwtape to nephew Wormwood, and what I want you to do as you listen to this letter, it is to give you insight into the workings of the enemy. This is a dialogue between them. This is truly what is happening in the unseen world. So let's set that up so that we know what we are battling against and what's happening to us, how we're influenced by those unseen forces. So it goes like this. My dear Wormwood, our main objective with humans is to separate them from the creator. We do that by toying with their minds so that they begin to have confusion. You will be assigned to twist and manipulate their thoughts so that their hearts become saddened and anxious. Their speech becomes harsh and vile. And ultimately, their behavior becomes lustful and self-serving. Their mind is our gateway to their lives and our entryway to controlling them. You'll experience the fun of manipulating truths and distorting reality for them. You have the task of getting them to believe that God is like their puppet, here to do what, when, and how to their liking. When he doesn't, they will turn against him, placing placing suspicion and doubt in their minds about God's existence, his love, or even his presence causes them such pain and agony. This torment is quite a show. As they are created to be in relationship with God and others, Convincing them that they cannot trust others and don't need others is the key. The best way of doing this is to influence them to believe that they are safer and better off alone. Getting them isolated and withdrawn from others primes their mind to hear our voices better. Keep them recounting incidences of betrayal and abuse to drive this point home over and over again. Influencing and encouraging Self-reliance keeps them ensnared by us and further gives us permission to build, to build them up to be more self-centered. You will see how this causes them to become more demanding of others, 
as their entitlement deepens and their abuse of power grows. Having them fight each other distracts from our schemes. I suspect you will enjoy your new vocation, my beloved nephew. Proudly yours, Uncle Screwtape. So how many conversations about you do you think, do you think that they've had throughout your life? Do you think you've been a subject for their delight? Do you think they've snickered and they've laughed and they continue to taunt? So how many times in your life have they schemed against you, taunted or harassed you in those ways? Think about it. We have to think about it. If we don't, we're blinded. And that is what, what the enemy wants. So let's not be blinded today, okay? So when you've experienced these tauntings, these harassments, these manipulations, you were influenced by the workings of the demons against you. No one is exempt. If we don't understand what is really going on in the unseen world, then we'll easily become subjects to the mind games of the demonic spirits. And as Christians, we have the ability to not allow that anymore. That's what we're here to talk about today. So what's the goal of evil? There are goals. There's a strategy. There's a plan. So the Bible tells us in John 10.10 that he comes to steal the goodness of relationships. He comes to kill the desires of your heart. And he comes to destroy the beauty of the unique way that you represent the image of God. So John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But God comes and he says, I have come that they may have life. That they, us, you may have life. And God intends for that life, even in the midst of war, to be lived to the fullest. He has a plan for that. Okay? The enemy has one plan. God has another. So what are the strategies of the kingdom of darkness? How does he influence us? How does he turn us against God? There are two main strategies. I've researched and there's, there's, everybody breaks it down in so many different other ways, but ultimately there are two main strategies. If we can keep it simple and not complicate it, because part of the enemy's plan is to overcomplicate it to where we can't understand it. So let's keep it simple so that we can know exactly what the truth is. All right, so two strategies. He comes with accusation against us through harassment, harassing thoughts, harassing beliefs. And the second, through deceiving us with lies. So Satan is given two names in the Bible. I'll only use two for my purpose today, but he's called many others. The accuser and the father of lies. So let's find that in scripture. In Revelation 12, 9, it says, This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. Are you in the world? Are you in the whole world? So he's deceiving you and me. So he was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our, of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So we know who he is and we can call him by name. And then in John 8, 44, it says about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Why do we expect anything else from him? Why do we expect that he gives us truth? He doesn't. So we need to be mindful of that. 
And we'll go on further today, and I'm going to teach you how to be more mindful of that and what to do against that. Because if we can't understand it, if we can't be aware of it, we can't apply it. Okay? And our lives change when we apply, not just when we read. Okay? So why do evil spirits accuse us? It's their job. <laughs> Satan strategically, he consistently, and he intentionally makes accusations against us. Don't be fooled. He's got a mission to keep us repeating sin and to make us despair over never being right before God again. He doesn't want God to extend grace and forgiveness to us, nor does he want us to receive God's grace. Are there times when it's difficult for you to receive God's grace? Because you're under self-condemnation, you're under self-contempt, you're, you, you have unforgiveness? Oh, no, I'm not good enough. I'm, wor I'm un unworthy. Yep, there you go. He's working, and he's succeeding. God has forgiveness for you. He has grace for you, and it is for you. We are to receive it. So it's not our, our, only our belief in God that Satan begins to challenge, but it's also our beliefs about God, which then guide us to question his existence and his goodness. Have you asked questions of God like this? Are you there? Where were you when blank was happening? Why did you let that happen? Do you love me? Are you mad at me? Are you punishing me? All of these questions about God come from our thoughts when we experience losses, disappointments, betrayal, abuse, neglect, or failures. Or you can add your own in there. So how many of us living in this posture are living in this posture against God? The accusations that come to us, we then turn as accusations against God. How many of us are living in that posture? But I want you to understand, it's okay to ask those questions of God. It's our posture with him when we ask those questions that makes the difference. When we ask him seeking truth and knowing truth, he's there for me. He loves me. If I can seek those questions, the answers to those questions from that posture, I am still in alignment with God. But when I come against God and, and why and, and, and expect, there is no answer. He is distant. Why? Because he doesn't care for me. That's where the enemy ensnares us. There is a process called lamenting where we do give God the cries of our heart, the desperation of our soul, and, and, and tell him about our sorrows. That is biblical, and that is okay. But the enemy wants to get us to a place where we don't lament, we just accuse God. When God doesn't answer those questions, we look to ourselves and to others for quick questions, quick answers, and quick solutions. Have you ever been there? Yep, so have I. Immediate answers, though, or instant gratification, causes us great frustration and oftentimes great pain. We go to things or people to satisfy, to affirm what we're believing. And if it's not the truth, we will stay in that constant place of unsettled. We've become a microwave society, right? We, we have expedited delivery, we have, we have fast food, and we have Google. We don't wait upon the Lord. Or we don't press into his truth. Waiting is painful. We want it now. And that's the very thing that the enemy uses against us in the kingdom of God. So how does the enemy accuse us? Am I asking good questions? Have y'all asked the same questions? Good, we have answers. They're truths from the Bible. So during moments of heartache, when you're most vulnerable, he reminds us of our sin. And that begins a cycle of self-contempt, more and more confusion. He convinces us that we are unworthy of God's love. Been there? 
He makes us skeptical about God's existence. Are you there? Are you real? He cultivates doubt in us about God's love for us. How can you love me? I've done this again and again and again. I'm, I'm, I'm eroding your love for me, God. We'll, we'll think, right? That's not possible. He causes us to question our salvation. Hmm, maybe I need to go get saved again. Maybe I need to get baptized again and again. Ten years later, again. I'm just not sure. Because why? Because God, God's not with me. I need to recommit to God. We can recommit, right? But our salvation remains. So let me ask you. Have you heard, agreed with, and told yourself any of these accusations? You aren't good enough. You aren't wanted. Nobody likes you. You are damaged. It is all your fault. You're a bad person. You're a fraud. You're overweight. God isn't there for you. How can a good God let this happen? You can never do anything right. You are weak. You are needy. You don't matter. You're too sensitive. If only people knew who you really are. So how long has the enemy been taunting you? Think about it. It's before today. It's before yesterday. Maybe you were five. The accusations you suffer today usually have something to do with incidences in your past that make up the story of your life. The enemy will use others' voices to accuse us. Maybe it's our parents or our friends. Maybe it's our siblings, our coaches. Maybe it's bullies. Maybe it's teachers. Maybe it's even our spouse, our aunts or uncles, our abusive boyfriends or girlfriends. You can name. You have specific people in your life that the enemy has used to speak those accusations to you. So haven't you heard those same lies over and over and over again? I wonder what would happen if we just did this little exercise. If we just wrote down one day, thinking about, okay, today is Sunday, first day of the week. I'm going to start a little, a, little, a little journal of my accusation journal. I'm going to write down all the things the enemy tells me. And I'm going to start, Satan says, and then write it down. You are not good enough. You are stupid. And every time we hear something that way, we write it down. And as the day goes on, and as the next day goes, when we hear it again, we put a little check. We hear it again, we put a little check. The next day, another time during the day. And I wonder at the end of the, at the, end of the week on Saturday, how many marks would you have? I wonder if we started counting, if we started being aware, we started collecting some data. That's truth, right? I wonder what would happen if we did that. Because the enemy isn't creative. He has the same strategy. He uses the same five or ten accusations over and over again. So if you can recognize them, and if you can notice them, when you hear those same sentences being repeated in your mind, you can speak to the father of lies, and you can tell him, enough. I've had enough. No more. And I'm encouraging you today, and I will teach you today, how to stand from that position today. You with me? Who really is not ready for that? I'm asking. Because a time will come where you will either decide that you will stand and you will act or you will remain sitting and being passive. That's just the truth of the matter. So I'm encouraging you to be active. So what's the motive of deception? Simply to convince us to come in agreement with these accusations in a way in which we become confused about what is true, about what is real. And it causes us to question what to believe. 
How do we come into agreement? What are these agreements? Well, we come into these agreements when the, when the enemy whispers. His whispers become your own words to yourself. The moment we hear from, from evil the accusation, you are, and you can fill in the blank, you are not important enough. And the moment you begin to say to yourself, I am not important enough. You have then entered into an agreement with the enemy of your soul. And we begin to live from that belief. And it affects every area of our lives. So I'm going to say it again. Agreements come as, as parts of our story. They come during times of tragedy, heartache, abuse, or loss. The kingdom of darkness is opportunistic. And the most opportune time to deceive us is when we're in a moment of significant pain. Think about it. So these agreements are made as a way to avoid future pain. They're made as a way to, to help us to have control over our lives. Because there was a time when someone else had control and we didn't. And when that person did, they failed us or they hurt us. So Satan offers us a way to make sense of our painful situation, right? Oh, that's why, right? Oh, because I'm not enough. Oh, that makes sense. He offers us a way to make sense through a deceptive narrative that seems to fit as a way of explaining the situation. His interpretation is designed for us to agree with him by believing what he offers us to be true. So here's an example. You have your own in your life. My parent abandons me. That very night while crying myself to sleep, the enemy comes and whispers, you're not important enough. Then I agree and believe that I'm not important enough for him or her to care for me. Then I vow to myself, and I even begin maybe to say it out loud to others, I will never let anyone leave me again. I will never trust anyone again. Because when I do, what happens? They leave me. Can you relate? So other examples of, of agreements. And you can find your own. I just want to give you examples so that you can begin to really know how these, these principles work in our lives. Everyone else gets what they want and I never do. All men lie, or all women lie. Women or men can't be trusted. Marriage never lasts. I must please others to be liked. No one really cares if I'm hurting. I'm my worst own enemy. I deserve to have fun. Hmm. Because I work hard. I'll never get over this addiction. If you want something right, you'll have to do it yourself. That was mine. If it's, up to, if, it, if it's gonna be, it's up to me. That was mine. I'm out of control. My husband or my wife will never change. I'm always alone. It isn't okay to show my emotions. It's always my fault. So we make these agreements by choosing to believe the voice of accusations from the enemy. Making vows to avoid future pain is why we make them. And then our allegiance from the kingdom of God switches to our allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. We switch to the dark side. So how do these agreements work? We have to understand them, right? So how do they work? These agreements are designed by the evil one to produce results for the kingdom of darkness, right, to, to gain us to his side. By believing the agreements, you signed the legal spiritual document that you became bound to in the spiritual realm. In the core of you, you say yes to those lies and you pledge yourself in your mind, in your heart, and in your soul to follow those vows, to vow those beliefs into your life. And then they began to 
take ground in all areas of your life. You're now bound and held captive. Nobody, not even God, can come between you and your vow. God's not big enough. Agreements or treaties. Agreements are treaties, and treaties are formal operating principles in the spiritual realm. Those principles are operating. We can't see them, but, oh, we can feel them. We can know them. Evil intends you to use your words and your will to carry out this agreement. Our agreements drive our behavior, and they become a way in which we operate in relationship with others and with God. They will continue to operate and guide our lives until they are broken. And only you can break those agreements and those vows. So in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Who has control over your thoughts? So let's consider these things about agreements. When making an agreement, you primed your brain to expect the very outcome that you agreed with. So for instance, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I get results. Nobody's there for me. I have to be strong. I have to take care of myself. And then I do. Right? Don't let anybody in. Why? Because they can't be trusted. Remember? We have to pay attention. Another consideration. Pay attention to the places in your heart that don't change with prayer or counseling. These are places that you're stuck. Can't get past them. You try and you try. And then you begin to perform. Well, I'm going to read my Bible more to, to get this breakthrough. Or I'm going to go to church more to get this breakthrough. Or I'm going to worship more to get this breakthrough. I'm not saying those things are not what we do. They're absolutely what we do. But we still stay stuck. Well, let's speak to why we stay stuck. There's no breakthrough no matter what you do in those places. But let me tell you that change comes not by gaining insight or understanding the situation better, but change comes by breaking the agreements. So how do we break those agreements? We have counter strategies as Christians to break the agreements in the spiritual realm. First, we stay alert, which means now that you know, it's up to you to be alert. We be aware and we watch out. This is not a passive position to live life from. We have to stay alert, be aware, and watch out. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert, watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's sneaky, looking for someone to devour. He's watching you. He's aware of you. But if we stay alert, he comes to us. We don't have to go charging after him. Stay still. He comes. He's there. Now what do we do? Because sometimes he wants to get us to be on the chase after him. Why? That's a distraction. No, no. Stay still. Stay firm. Right where you are. He brings the battle to you. Have you thought about that before? We believe he's always, he's always chasing. We're always running. He is chasing, but we don't have to run. So the next thing that we do, another strategy against the enemy, is we question to discern the voices in our head. We can do that. We have to do that. You've heard it said, think what you're thinking about? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk about the difference between God's conviction and Satan's uh, accusations. So the difference is, the main difference is the tone in which the thought comes. 
It's no more complicated than that, y'all. Don't make it complicated. It's the tone. He accuses. What is an accusation? It's something that comes against you. Does that come against you politely? No. It's condescending. It's harassing. It's harsh. So let's listen. The difference between um, conviction and condemnation. God's voice convicts. Conviction should draw us toward God's grace with a sense of hope about how Jesus will rescue you, redeem you, and restore you. He doesn't just save us. He completes us. He, he returns what has been stolen. He redeems. He restores. He renews. Let's remember those things, right? If, again, we stand from that posture, we're standing firm, that's the truth. That's where I come with my armor of God. That's where I'm standing from. Come on, devil. I got it. I got you. And I can know those truths, and I can speak those truth, truths back to him. That's what Jesus did in the, in the, in, when he was tempted. Why wouldn't we do the same? So the Bible says in Romans that it is the goodness, the kindness of God, that leads man to repentance. But let's learn about condemnation. Condemnation leads us to feel pushed down under the weight of our sin, feeling ashamed and fearful, depressed and even oppressed. Totally different feeling, totally different experience. So I have this chart here. Let's look at it. So when God speaks... He stills you. He reassures you. He leads you. There's a safety in his leading. He enlightens you. He forgives you. He calms you. He encourages you. And he comforts you. Now, the opposing force, Satan, when he speaks to you, what happens? What is the experience? He rushes you. You feel a sense of, of timing that is immediate. It has to happen now. Or you will surely die. <laughs> he frightens you. He instills fear. He pushes and pushes and taunts and harasses. He confuses you. You don't know which way is up and which way is down, which way is right, which way is wrong. He condemns you. He stresses you. He causes you anxiety. He discourages you, and he causes you to worry. Do you see the difference? From which voice have you been listening to and living from? Examine your life. Are you encouraged? Are you comforted? Or are you discouraged and have worries and anxiousness? Are you confused? Notice the state in which you're in. It will tell you which voice you have been listening to. And then choose which voice to listen to from here on. The voice you choose determines which side you are on and which army you belong to, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. In which have you enlisted? Because you're a soldier, you're a warrior. From which position do you fight the battle? Another strategy that we have is to know truth. I just wrote some scriptures down that help me. Maybe you have your own. I encourage you to find your own scriptures that you have experience with, that the Lord spoke to you specifically. And you remember those times. Those were life-defining moments where you had that sense of, of peace when the Lord spoke. You have your own scriptures. If you don't, I encourage you to go in and, and find them. You have to. So this truth, Romans 8, 38 through 9, I am, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Wow. Is that reassuring? Is that encouraging? Does that give you peace? Does that empower you? Yeah, it should. 
because that's truth. That's God's voice. So when the enemy begins to doubt, mm, I don't think he loves you. I think he's forgotten about you. He's so distant. He's really busy, you know. He manages the world. Nope. Nothing can separate me from God's love. Whether I feel him, I experience him, I hear him, I'm not separated from God's love. That's what it tells me in Romans 8, Satan. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. First, you have to belong. You have to belong. You have to choose which side. And because you belong to him, the power of the living spirit, the life-giving spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. When we can receive this scripture as truth, it then begins to battle our, our return to sin, the same sin, over and over and over again. When we're tempted, oh no, Satan, there is no condemnation in my life. I know you're coming to, to, to tell me, oh, go look at this or go do that or ooh, this one is, is pulling your attention away from your spouse. Oh no, Satan, mm-mm, mm-mm, not today, right? We have to stand on truth or, or we're a dog with a leash and we're drug around. Who is your master? John 6.33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. God's intention is to give us an abundant life, a peaceful life. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. Know this, right? Hold it in your heart. Hang on to it. Because I have overcome the world. We win. We win. And no matter what happens in our life, what is the worst thing that can happen? We're called home to eternal glory. Oh, tempt me again, Satan. I'm shaking. So I want you to know you have the authority to break the agreements. In Luke 10, 17 through 19, it says, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you walk among the snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Hmm, what a different posture, right? What a different posture to live from. Pastor Jamie talked about we fight from victory. That's how we fight from victory. That's the place that we fight from. So we resist the enemy. How do we resist the enemy? When he comes, we stand. We give him truth. We, we know our authority. And then we resist. Are you resisting him? Have you been resisting him? Maybe not enough. And I'll say in my own life, sometimes not enough. But maybe if I recommit today, and I ask you to recommit today, Maybe as a body of Christ, we can recommit to resist more and then let's see some breakthroughs happen in our lives and in our community. Right? So James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a cause and an effect. Resist, he will flee. There's no conditionality. Stand firm. Stay in your place. Stand on the truth. And I want to say something that may be a little risque, but hear me out. Because if you know me, I, I, I kind of have that frame of mind. Um, I'm a rebel for God's army, but okay. But I'm a rebel nonetheless, okay? So it isn't God that we need to pray to during these times. It is the enemy that we need to talk to. Mm, for religious people, that may not set, set right. But I, listen, listen. How many times do we pray to God? God, I'm hurting. Oh, God, I'm doing this over and over and over again. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Have we broken agreements? 
No. We're praying to God. We've not spoken to the enemy. And we have not told him, stop, in the name of Jesus. So we need to speak to the enemy at times. Not that we don't pray to God. Don't twist this. If we are in prayer before God, we will know how to speak to the enemy, and we will know our authority. God gives us that authority. Take it. It's yours. So how do we, how do we talk to the enemy? We call him by name. You evil, deceitful, under-my-feet worm. I've had enough of your harassment, enough of your lies. I am so done and so tired. God has given me the authority over you, not you the authority over me. Let's turn this around today. Right? Okay? And then we say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave me alone. I decide today that you, that to no longer agree with the lies you have embedded in my mind against me and against God. With the authority given to me by God, I command you to stop harassing me and go back to the pit of hell where you belong. I'm done. It's as simple as that. Can you do that? So now we recognize the vow. In the agreement, we then make a vow. Do y'all follow that? So what you have determined in your heart with your words and your will to never do or to always do. That's how vows start. I'll never let that happen again. Right? It's a way of self-protecting. But if God is our protector and if he is our defender, we do not have to protect ourselves. We submit ourselves to his covering. So what have you vowed to yourself as a way of protecting yourself? State it. Write it down. Think about it. Listen to this message over and over and over again until you, until you get it. Devise a, a battle plan that's specific for you from what I'm teaching. Would you do that? You do that and you will have deliverance in your life. The next thing we do is repent from sin. Holding on to that vow has kept you from connecting with God. Do you see that? We don't leave room for God to move in our lives when we have those vows. You haven't let him into that deeper area of your life. You allowed Satan to plant that doubt in you, and you have resented God for letting it happen. You have believed since he wasn't there for you then, he can't be here for you now. So apologize to God. Repent for making that agreement and ask for his forgiveness. Vows are sinful. And then renounce the influence of the enemy. Tell Satan that you take back your life by removing his evil spirits, his influence in any area of your mind, your body, your spirit that he has stolen or that he has taken ground. Tell him you are no longer subject to his toying. And then receive God's forgiveness. It's there for the asking. And then ask God to help you forgive yourself. So that's a big one. And then we realign ourselves with God. We recommit our allegiance to God and we, re we reclaim him as Lord of our lives. And then here's the good thing we do. We rejoice. We thank God for his great love for us and his sacrifice on the cross. We give him praise and honor with our words and with our lives. We live out our lives as praise and gratitude to God. So in Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Oh, what a rest for your souls. What a rest. What a rest. God wants you to rest in his love, in his comfort. He has that for you. He desires that for you. I want you to experience that.
can we live today differently starting today? Yeah, I want to encourage you to do that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I'll guide you how to just put all of this into practice through my prayer for each and every one of you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your truth, that I may stand on that truth every moment of every day, no matter what the situation or the day unfolds before me, Lord. And Lord, as I stand on that truth, I pray, Lord, knowing that I'm in the midst of a battle, that my heart, my mind, my will, and my words are in allegiance to you, Lord. That I remember that I am in the Lord's army. And when the enemy prowls around and he comes in to influence me, Lord, that I can stand, that I can know truth, that I can resist, and that I can take the authority that you have given me in the heavenlies. Lord, I thank you that you've made a way. Today, Lord, I intend to break every known and unknown agreement that I have made with the enemy. Lord, you know my life, you know all of the situations, and you know all of the agreements. Lord, would you bring those to remembrance to me throughout the week so that I can write them down and I can come against them. I can resist them. And Lord, those vows that I have held deep in my heart to hold me, to save me, Lord, may I place those vows under your reign and I break those vows knowing that they don't serve me well, that I have a God that I serve. Remind me of that, Lord. Thank you. Empower me, Lord, to break agreements and to break vows. And Lord, I thank you for your deliverance. Lord, I give you all the praise and the glory and the honor that is due you. I pray over each one of us today, Lord, that they experience freedom that is in you and the peace that you offer. May they come to know the great love that you have for each one. I thank you, Lord. And as we walk this out, Lord, I pray that we walk with authority and with confidence and a boldness that you give us. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.